Hello and welcome to the Rebuilding Futures podcast. And we have a special one today, a special guest. The other co-hosts are not in the building. We are missing Elrich Uvillian and Chris Shankles, but we do have me, Kenneth Young, and Aaron Charles. Aaron, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Ken. How about yourself? I am great. I am great. And we have a special guest, but this special guest comes to us by way of you, so I thought you could do the formal introduction. All right, absolutely. Really good friend of mine. I appreciate that. For me, it's a great honor. Um, so right now, who we have in the studio with us is Albert James Yancey, really good friend of mine. If you guys knew who he was, you'd already be clapping your hands or turning up whatever listening device you're streaming on right now because this guy is a champion for all things good. So he has done a great body of work and has reached back into the system to feed the people in a place where he was fed as well. A lot of us understand that the lifeblood of success in that place is volunteers, and this is a person who has a volunteer heart. So if you guys don't mind lending in there for a while, I'd like to welcome and present to you a gentleman and a giant, Albert James Yancey. Great welcome, Mr. Charles. Thank you for that. How you doing today? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you for being on with us. I, it's a pleasure for me to just have the, the, the ear of you and the eyes of you and also so the, the support of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's undying. So um, why don't you take a moment and share some about yourself with the folks that are going to be listening to the podcast. Let them know who you are, what you got going on, and uh, some of the great ways that they could get involved. And let's just take it step by step, though, so we don't miss anything. Tell them about yourself, Yancey. Well, my name is Albert James Yancey. I grew up in a small town of Victoria, Texas. Was born in Corpus Christi at the age of two years old. My family, we uprooted from Corpus, relocated in the Victoria area. And this is where I grew up the majority of my adolescent life. Unfortunately, at the age of 11 years old, my mother received a phone call that really just changed the trajectory of not only my family, but also of my personal life. And that news that my mother received when I was 11 was that my father my H-E-R-O, my hero, was found floating in the Colorado River dead after being reported missing for five days. It was at that point that I did not have the vocabulary to accurately express externally how I was feeling. So this resulted in me just navigating through life without a blueprint. Unfortunately, I succumbed to a street life at the age of 11 years old, began to sell small amounts of marijuana, it graduated to selling crack cocaine, cocaine becoming gang related. And at the age of 17 years old, I decided that I was bold enough and I was bad enough to discharge a nine millimeter in the direction of a Jeep and boat that unfortunately ended a young man's life who I never knew, I never spoke to. Um, it wasn't my fight and just, um, expressed an, a part of anger that nobody knew that I had. Man, that's uh first of all, thank you for sharing. That is a massive, massive story that you, you shared with us in a nutshell too. You you moved through that really swiftly. Um and thank you for that. I know that you put a lot of thought into it and the effects of it and how those things have affected not only you but also the people that are connected to the family of the victim uh perhaps any people that may have been a part of that circumstance with you as well so thank you for giving that to us in a short and concise way um you know i'd like to talk to you about 
what life was like in some of the pockets in between what you explained. Uh, I know that you were a great student athlete. So although your life had some twists and turns and some things that warred against your success, why don't you tell me about some of the areas of your life in your younger years where you actually had some really good success and you know what you were hopeful for back then? Well, at the age of eight years old, I had started my own lawn care service. I was an entrepreneur at the age of eight. I learned how to take a marker and write on a piece of paper, we'll cut yard for $5. Okay. I, I printed out all of those copies and put them in the elderly people door in the Section 8 housing area where I was living at. And it just ventured off from that yard boy into a hustling mentality. So I began to shoot marbles in school, and I was competitive. So I, my seventh grade year, I began to get involved with athletics. Athletics was my outlet from the community. It yeah. allowed me to be that star athlete. I played football, basketball, baseball, and track. And as you had mentioned, I was an A on a row student. So it wasn't that I was a dummy. It's just that the trajectory of my life changed when the bad news came. So what people looked at externally as I was this boy who was a standout athlete, but what they didn't understand is that I was a crust confused young man under a school uniform. And yeah. so when I began to lash out, when I began to get in trouble, people didn't realize that that wasn't who I was. I was crying out for help and didn't have the words to tell you, hey, I'm missing my father. Because in the culture that we have in, in our communities, emotions is not something that we are so quick to express so we think that it's being weak when you say that you're missing your father or that you're being a sissy or you're being less than a man when you say hey an intricate part of my life is missing and it's just as equivalent as not having my heart or not having my brain but you still saying that I'm functioning as a little boy or a man so my life wasn't all bad um, the pockets that that was good they was good but it's unfortunate that the double lifestyle that I was living, the good kid, the honor roll student, the student athlete, uh, one who was admired and looked upon by my peers, that was at school. But the double life, the flip to that coin is that when I went back to my community, I began to do what the community do as a way of an escape. So while I was at school, my uniform was my escape. When I went back to the neighborhood, when I went back to the hood, the hood lifestyle or the culture was my way of escape. And I was just talking with Mr. Young a while ago, and I was sharing with him about how I had such an identity crisis as a young kid. You know, my mother being from Australia, a Caucasian lady, my father being African-American, and you go into school and you have this double divide when you hear the word intelligent, when you hear the word smart, when you hear the word gifted, that equated with a Caucasian type of person. And so once I was about eight or nine years old and we would play this little game, the game was my mother would go to work. My aunt would relieve her after 12 hours. So what we would do is we would go. My mother would go to work. My aunt would bring us in the morning. My aunt went into work. My mother came out. But the game was this. 
When my mother was coming out of work, me and my sister was to duck down in the back of the car. And so the game to win the money at the end of the week is who was able to stay ducked down past the third light. (laughs) But what I realized as I got older, it wasn't a game that we was playing. What was happening is if my the people that my mother was working for would have found out that she was a white lady with black children, they would have fired her. Wow. And so as a result of that, I didn't want to identify because I felt like being white was wrong. Yeah. Being gifted was wrong. Yeah. So in the community, the high rollers, the gang members, the drug dealers, that's who I began to gravitate towards because it allowed me to escape the reality of my world and live this fictitious life all the way until I discharged the nine millimeter and realized that the same people that I was trying to impress, the same lifestyle I was trying to live, then were the same people that testified against me when I went to court. Yeah. So what 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 came up for you? Right. Um, Because everything that you just said right now is an equation. And then there's the equal sign. And before your release and all of that, a- after that part of the equation, we're going to drop an equal sign right there. What did what did that net you out? Um, all of the tough times that you had gone through, whether they were uh, things that were pressed upon you or they were self-induced or some decision-based, what, what came about the other side of the equal sign for you? What was your term of incarceration? So what happened is after I went to trial for seven days and I witness every time the district attorney opened up the doors and say, can we bring our next witness? It was someone I went to school with, someone I spent the night at their house with, or someone that was considered to be my cousin or and or friend. So after going through seven days of trial and hearing the testimony of the courtroom, the jury came back with a guilty verdict. And then we transferred from the guilty stage into the punishment stage. And the only thing that I can remember, and I can hear these words echo in my ear for, since I was 17 years old, is when the district attorney got before the jury and he specifically said, if you want to send a message out to the different gangs that we have in our community, I want you to show him the same mercy that he showed his victim when he decided to fire six shots from a nine millimeter. He said the the name that we've heard most in this courtroom was Albert, 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 Albert. And not one time have we heard he's sorry for what he's done. Give this man a life sentence and a $10,000 fine. So at the age of 17 years old, I was handed a life sentence by the jury of my peers and sentenced to the concrete jungle of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. When at that time, under the one-fourth law, as a life sentence, I was supposed to do 15 years before I would be eligible for parole. Unfortunately, I ended up doing the 15 years plus 12, which equaled 28 years, almost 27 years, five months in one day. Or as I tell people how you want to count it, you can count it 27 years, five months in one day or 10,000 in six days. Man, brother, that's a, that's a big, big sentence. And you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to come across as saying that someone's life, when it's taken, uh, doesn't deserve some punishment. But that's a big sentence, man. I'm just thankful and uh, to see you on the other side, and I'm happy that you have gone through some steps to 
concrete your resocialization efforts as well. You talked about a few things, if you don't mind me touching on it with you. You talked about, as a young man, male emotions in uh, the urban community as being something that is uh, pretty offset. You talked about having multiple faces, being biracial and having some identity questions or some identity um, instability. So as young people in urban communities, I think that emotion definitely is very present in males. Uh, one of the things that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel more masculine is that we don't show emotion, but sometimes we express that emotion through anger, through frustration and through rage. And when we're out there, especially gangbanging and doing some of the things that you were associated with, you were necessar not necessarily a gangbanger, but you were around these people. Um, did you find yourself expressing emotion in rage and anger just so that you could keep people off of you as a buffer? Or how did that emotion work for you when you were a young man? Well, my emotions came out in the streets as it did in the school. In the school, if I was able to score two touchdowns or if I was able to score 23 points, that was my expression of emotions. Now, when I went to the streets, rather it was violent because in America, we have to remember that manhood is defined by four characteristics, how violent you are, how much materialistic possession that you have, how many girls or sexual active that you can be or your money. So if you have those qualifications, then in our culture, we feel like that that defined us as a man. So what I've learned in life is that a hot water heater, just give you an analogy, a hot water heater, it is built for pressure, but it even has a pressure valve. Mm-hmm. And so what happens with us, we grow up, we think that we're not to express how we feel. And as a result of that, we bottle all this stuff up inside. And at some point, it's going to come out. I don't care if it's at your mother, your spouse, your children or in your community. And so for me, the, the shooting of the pistols, the fighting, the um, defiant attitude that I had, not only towards school administrators, but anyone, because I have learned that if my mother couldn't tell me nothing, then no one outside my house could tell me anything. So I don't care if you was the police, the judge or the principal. I was not listening to anything that you was trying to tell me. Why? Because I felt like that I had already conquered the most feared person, which was my mother. Yeah. When she would tell me to be in. No, uh, I'm doing what I want to do. So as a result of that, uh, I, my violent my violent nature was exhibited through how I conducted myself. When I was in school, I was happy. So um, I wanted to go to the Marines for eight years, and I wanted to do these good things. But then when I went back to community, I only allowed what I saw to come out of me. Yeah, to influence you. And what went in What is the same thing that came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Ken, what you thinking? What you thinking about this? He's got a pretty big story, right, Ken? What you think? It's a pretty big story, and I'm thinking there's no way we can get the whole story in the time that we have allotted. So I'm just going to ask them one question, see if we can get that, that, that answer. And then, Aaron, let's say we, we put it on pause and bring Mr. Yancey back in and, and get the whole story and do this again. What you think? No problem. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so, Mr. Yancey, before you leave, I ask all of my guests and all of our guests the same thing what one piece of information would you give to the 17 year old you from all the knowledge that you have right now 
and the other 17-year-olds that are listening? Well, that's a great question, and I'm glad that you asked me that question because I've heard you ask that question a lot. And the first thing that came to my mind is that I wouldn't want to talk to the 17-year-old kid. I want to talk to the 48-year-old adult, the 30-year-old adult, the 35-year-old adult that we have in our society who has become afraid of the 17-year-old. We are in a generation now that kids are going to be kids. The 35-year-old, the 48-year-old, the 50-year-old, they have content. They know what error is. But mm-hmm. what's happening is they're afraid to talk to the young men because they're acting out. So I would first talk to the adults to say, hey, we need a generation of men to show a different version of what a man's supposed to be. Because we have to realize that the children that we are seeing today was us. That's the blueprint that we left behind. Mm-hmm. So until they see the OGs and the Gs become a different person to them then they will begin to change. But what's happening is they don't have a new version. And so we have to be the new version to go back to the Alberts and the Charleses at that time because most of our men went off to war. Most of our men went off to prison. So as a result of that, they had no blueprint. My father died when I was 11 years old. My grandfather was already dead. My uncle was already dead. So every male in my family was already dead. So therefore, I navigated throughout life with no blueprint. So I would speak to the older generation and say, hey, you've sobered up. You've picked your pants up. You got a career. Now it's your responsibility to go back and undo the seeds that you planted when you were that age. Because what we're seeing today is only a tape that's being recorded back to us. Because our children's mind is just like a blank cassette tape. What's played on the cassette tape is what's going to come out of the cassette tape. So I will say to the adults, again, the adults, it's time for us to show our children a different version of what manhood looks like and to realize that we are the reason why they are the way that they are. And until they see different, they won't do different. So they've been exposed through the TVs, the, the music, I mean, I was just thinking today, listening to LL Cool J's old school radio station, and I was listening to all the lyrics, and it was taboo to say that you drank or done drugs. Yeah. But if you listen to all the music today, they glorify doing drugs. So what is the difference? When we was growing up, we was the drug dealers and the gangsters. Yeah. The generation today are the drug users. And so we need to go back and tell them, hey, that's not the way to go. So I would tell the 17-year-old, or I would want someone to talk to the 17-year-old Albert in a way with experience. We got the experience. They don't. Children are going to make mistakes. We need to be the ones that are there to bring them out of their mistakes. That was perfect. Aaron, I don't don't think I should say anything else after that. You got something? Man, I'm going to go ahead and let him finish up with that right there. I just want to let him know that we appreciate you, Yancey, for coming on in. And sharing some of your experiences with us, Ken. Thank you for having an open stage and open platform for people like this man to come and share some of what they've been through and how change has affected them in their life. So thank you to both of you gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Yancey. And once again, you have been on the Rebuilding Futures podcast. We hope you enjoyed or we know you enjoyed today's session. Like, subscribe. We're listed everywhere you can find your favorite podcast. We're listed on all social media platforms. Have a great day.